Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Acts 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So as we study this this morning, I'd like to invite you to uh, take a look at the life of Barnabas, the missionary. And uh, we're going to see specifically that uh, there is a message to the church to hold on to Jesus Christ. That was the message that Barnabas came to bring to the new believers in Antioch. But before we get there, I'd like to give you a little bit of a um, just a recap and a background of what's going on. There's several things that are happening in the world at the same time uh, with with the church. So while God is working on the heart of Saul... And, uh, and saving him and preparing him for his mission work, for the glory of God. God is at work in Peter, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and leading him. But God is also, at the same time, sending missionaries all over the world. And as a result of that, little churches are popping up, little congregations of believers, fellowships of um, people that, that have in common their faith in Jesus Christ. So let's dive into some of what's taking place. Let's start in verse 19. It says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution. So that's called uh, the diaspora or the dispersion. That's The diaspora is a Greek word. You don't have to remember that, but it means dispersion. All the people were huddled together in Jerusalem, but because of the persecution, they were dispersed. They were spread out. So they were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. Now remember who was standing there holding the coats of all the people that were throwing stones and killing Stephen. It was Saul. Young Saul who was zealous for Jewish law and, uh, and his Jewish faith, his belief in God, believing that he was honoring the Lord in supporting the murder of Stephen uh, in the killing of this blasphemer. Uh, He believed he was doing the right thing, but he was standing there. But all the while, God is using the death of Stephen to send the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. 
And shortly after that, Saul is saved and he is changed and he is going to join all of those missionaries bringing Jesus to the rest of the world. So we're beginning to see a picture of how all this is coming together. And then it says here, they made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Phoenicia is is a region north of Jerusalem. Cyprus is an island and Antioch is north of Phoenicia. So you're kind of getting the picture of the gospel going, um, going upwards and outward throughout all the land as people ran for their lives. They were speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. So most of the people that were going out were Jewish converts. They were uh, believers in God. They were Jews, but they had come to believe in Jesus Christ. And they were going out mostly speaking to Jews alone. Uh, Because a lot of these people have been taught all along that salvation was for the Jews. Salvation was for the nation of Israel. Uh, Abraham and all of his descendants. It was the promise of God to Abraham that to Abraham's descendants, that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And the, the Christian converts believed, and at this time were still believing, that the promise of God unto salvation that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ was still primarily for the Jews. People were still, as we saw in Peter last week, still kind of coming to a realization that God's heart was to send the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles also, to all the world. But at this point, primarily all these people that were picking up their families, packing up their belongings, and moving to other towns for safety's sake, they were making friends with more Jews. And they were leading those Jews to believe in Jesus. That's a good thing. But still, it was primarily limited to the Jews. But the Holy Spirit cannot be contained. And God began to um, began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through people like Peter, giving him his vision to go into the Gentiles. And, and, uh, and people began to be saved who were not just Jewish people. So let's see what's going on in Antioch. In verse 19, So those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So apparently some people who who got saved along the way didn't know they weren't supposed to tell the gospel to the Greek people. They became Christians and they got excited about it and they went and found their pagan friends and they told them about Jesus. They went to Antioch and they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. The good news of how they, if they believed in Jesus Christ, they would be saved from their sins and they'd be right with their, their God who created them and has called them to salvation. And they were preaching the good news of Jesus and people were getting saved. So then in verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So these missionaries, it doesn't really name them. These are kind of unnamed missionaries. It could have been people that we've read about or heard about in Scripture, but in in this spot, it doesn't name the missionaries who went to Antioch first and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's kind of 
Uh, it's kind of unique. It's kind of neat. That God uses ordinary Christian believers and your testimony to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who need it. Wherever the Lord has sent you, it's very possible that you're there because God wants to preach Jesus through you. And the Lord may be with you in that, and he may lead you to turn hearts to the Lord. And that's what took place here. It says, the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So these unnamed, ordinary, brand new Christians going out sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to pagans were blessed by God in that effort, and people were being saved. So the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed in the Lord. And news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So word got out. The rumors were going around that people were getting saved. Pagan people were getting saved. Gentile people were getting saved. And they were gathering together in little fellowships and little churches. And they, were, and they were discussing their faith in God and praying together and encouraging one another. But they were baby Christians and they didn't have a shepherd. And they didn't have someone to lead them in the truth to be discipled and to make sure that they didn't wander off into false teaching. So the, the church in Jerusalem that was full of well-discipled people that was full of men who loved God and knew the word of God and knew the truth of God and, um, and had a desire to see the glory of God grow through the kingdom of God. They heard about this little baby church out in Antioch and they said, we need to send somebody over there to help grow this church. We need to send them a pastor. We need to send somebody to shepherd this little flock. And so they picked their best guy. They sent out their, they sent their best they picked Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? What was his nickname? Son of encouragement. He was well known for his encouragement and for his generosity. Everybody loved Barnabas. He was their favorite person. When they showed up to church, they wanted to go talk to Barnabas because he was so encouraging. He, he made everybody uh, feel welcome and he made everybody and he helped organize uh, the generosity and the kindness of the church. He contributed to the unity of the church and to the spirit of kindness within the church. He was a, he was a good man. And so they said, you know what this little church needs? They need a Barnabas. They need Barnabas. He's been so helpful and encouraging to us. God's used him to strengthen our church here in Jerusalem, but we're doing pretty well. God's given us so much good leadership here in Jerusalem. We need to send out Barnabas. So they sent him out. He was a missionary. They sent him out to pastor to take care of this little baby church. Look at verse 23. Let's see what Barnabas did. We begin to see the pastor's job as soon as he gets there. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them with a res to encourage them with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. One of the first things that he did was first he took he took notice of what of the of the church that he was sent to 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 help to pastor, to shepherd, and to minister to. He noticed the work of God among them, and he rejoiced at what God was doing. And then he set out to immediately encourage them, build them up, and to instruct them in a right direction. And then he tells us exactly how he began to instruct them. One specific instruction for the church. This was his instruction. He encouraged them, or he exhorted them, that with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. 
Now that, that resolute heart is, uh, that means to purpose within your heart. That is to set your heart towards something. Purpose within your heart. Decide now, almost as like, uh, like Joshua, when they were being told to choose you this day whom you will, be, whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You remember that? And this is almost the, the sense and the heart that you get behind this instruction from, from Barnabas to these, these brand new Christians. He says, all right, listen, first thing you need to do is to set your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, uh, res- uh, with a resolute heart or to resolve in your heart to remain true to the Lord. Now that... Uh, that remain, that word remain or to remain true, uh, in some versions it might, in King James it means, it says cleave, which means to hold on to. Um, in other versions it might say to remain faithful. All right, in my version it says remain true. The word true and the word faithful are actually not in the Greek. It's added here in the English to help give us understanding because it basically just says remain in the Lord or remain to the Lord. Well, ultimately, the understanding and the essence of that word remain is to hold on or to cleave to or to continue in or to stay with, meaning that you have been saved by Jesus Christ. He has, he has come to you and he has reached into your heart and soul by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has transformed your heart and mind and given you salvation. He has saved you and he has secured you with an eternal hope of salvation. You are saved in Jesus Christ, and he's saying, hold on to that. Hold on to that. Cling to that. Do not let go of that. Do not lose sight of that. Don't grow weary in walking with Jesus Christ. Hold on to that. You are baby Christians. You've started a new journey, but guess what? It's not going to be easy. The gospel came to Antioch, and you guys are all excited right now. You're baby Christians because Christians came here to tell you about Jesus Christ. But guess why the Christians came here? The Christians came here because they were being killed over there. And there's a good chance that it's coming here. So, hold on to Jesus. With a resolve that no matter what happens in your life, hold on to Jesus Christ. The, they don't, the, the Christian church isn't just told that once. That's a little bit of a theme throughout the entire New Testament. Let's read a couple of these verses for you. In Acts chapter 13, a couple pages over maybe in your Bible, Acts chapter 13, verse 43, it says this, or in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas, so now Barnabas and Paul are working together as, team, as a team of missionaries. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, The people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes, that means the people that have been converted to believe in Jesus, followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So as Paul and Barnabas are going, doing the missionary work, the people are following them, begging them to keep teaching them. And Paul and Barnabas keep saying to them, keep on with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Continue in the grace of God. Don't quit. Don't stray away. Stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Let me read you another one. Um, Acts chapter 14 in verse 22. 
few verses down. It says this, strengthening the, excuse me, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Oh, um, this is Paul and Barnabas again, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, traveling on their missionary journeys, and along the way they came to some disciples here again at Antioch. They had come back to Antioch. They met with the disciples again at Antioch, and they were encouraging them again to continue in the faith. I'd like to read another verse from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now this is Paul talking to a young pastor who was being sent out to shepherd a small group of believers in the church. Young pastor's name was Timothy. Somebody that Paul was kind of bringing along, uh, mentoring and discipling in his faith. And he says, all right, Timothy, I want you to, um, to stand firm in these things. And this is what he tells him in chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. And this is Timothy's, again, just to recap here, this is Paul's telling Timothy to instruct the church in this way. He's saying, I want you to encourage your sheep that the Lord has given you to take care of as a pastor. I want you to instruct your sheep to remember these words. And they're going to sound similar to what they've been, Paul's been telling the church all along. This is what he says, flee from these things, you man of God. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Meaning, flee from all these kinds of sins that he had listed off. But pursue these things in your life. This is a pursuit in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue perseverance, and pursue um, gentleness. Now, we know that righteousness is accomplished by Jesus. I cannot be righteous in and of myself. That is self-righteousness. And according to Jesus, all of my self-righteousness is as a filthy rag to him. It's, it's, of no, it's no good. It's, it's covered in sin. My best effort at being righteous is going to always be stained with sin. In our community group last Tuesday night, we were kind of discussing it. We used the illustration almost as if you're... You're sitting in a mud puddle trying to wash the mud off with more muddy water. Your best effort at getting yourself clean is only going to leave you more dirty. That's what self-righteousness is to us. So the, our only hope is what's called imputation. That's a word you can forget almost as soon as I say it. But let me just tell you what it means. We need a trade. We need our sins we need to trade our sins for righteousness. That's the only way it's going to happen. So we need our sins to be taken by somebody else. And we need their righteousness to be given to us because our righteousness is no good. And the only one who's able to do that is Jesus. So Jesus came and he died on the cross so that he could trade his righteousness for my sins. He took all of my sin, past, present, and future to the cross, all of it, not a little at a time as I confess it, all of it. He took all of my sin to the cross, paid the price once and for all. That way he could say it is finished. And then he gave me what I could never deserve. He gave me his righteous robes, his robes of righteousness. He gave them to me 
so that I could wear them and stand before God holy and clean. Amen, Amen right? What a blessing. That is salvation. So if you're wondering what it means to be a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's to believe that Jesus did that for you and to trust in him by faith. Ask him for forgiveness and he will trade his righteousness for your wicked sinfulness. So if he's done that for us, we know we have it. It's secured by Jesus. But... Now that we are right with God, we know that that's what God loves. We know that what is holy, God loves, and what is unholy, God hates. And since he saved us from so much wickedness and sin, why would we continue to walk in it? He is saying, put those things aside, repent of those things, and all of the things that God loves that are righteousness, that are right with God, that are considered right by God, do those things. Now live that way. Walk that way. Walk in right relationship with God. Not so that you can keep your salvation. That's kept by Jesus. But walk rightly with God because you love God. And we intentionally resolve in our heart to walk this way, to live this way, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith. So pursue faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And what does he say next? And, you know, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. There that is again. Take hold, almost like clinging to Jesus. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And this, not, this is not an instruction for you to hold on because if you let go, Jesus, you're not going to be saved anymore. When I read this, I immediately thought about a young child like a toddler. All of my kids did this. Um, they kind of went through phases, right? Um, you know, when they're a baby, they don't hold on at all, really. You're just holding them. And if you let them go, they're going to fall right? But then they get a little older and they got that grip, right? And they're going to hold on. And it doesn't matter if you're holding on or not, they're holding on. But the fact is, you're not going to let them fall. So even if they're holding on as tight as they can, they can let go, but you still got them. Does that make sense? And I think that's the thing. We, we can let go of Christ, but he still has us. And Timothy is encouraging them to hold on, to to to. Walk with Jesus and get a grip on your relationship with Jesus Christ every day. Intentionally strive toward drawing near to Jesus and holding on to him. Almost as if you are running to the feet of Jesus to, to put your hands around his feet as you bow to him. And, you know, when, you, when I think about Mary and Martha trying to spend time with Jesus, Martha's running around busying herself, trying to do all the good things. Mary just wants to be at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus. All right, Acts chapter 11. Verse 23, then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them that with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, resolved to remain true to the Lord, for, look at verse 24, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Now we see a little bit about the character of the pastor. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. These things were evident in Barnabas. And I would just like to encourage you as a church, as you pray through some of these words this morning, as you're, we're walking through this, we're kind of seeing a couple of things here. One, it's a message to the church. It's a message to all of us to hold on to Jesus Christ. But also, we see a little bit of an example of how God leads his church. We see an example of how God raises up leadership. God raises up and sends out shepherds. To help lead the flock because 
Barnabas wasn't simply a missionary who was going to lead people to confess Jesus and be saved, get some baptisms, and go somewhere else. All right? Even, Paul didn't even do that. He would, he would lead people to Jesus. He would baptize them. He would disciple them. He would raise up pastors. Then he would go somewhere else, but then he would come back to check on them to make sure they're doing all right, to make sure those pastors were still preaching the truth. But here God leads his church by sending a qualified man to, to, that is able to see the grace of God at work, that is able in his heart to rejoice at the grace of God and not just be critical and not just be fond of the sound of his own voice. He was able to go and with compassion and with kindness and a desire to edify and build up the church, preach good news to the church, lead them in the right direction, but he was also a man of godly character. It says that he was a good man, and I think that wasn't just a statement about how good he was, about doing good deeds, that this man was better than everybody else. I think that was a statement about the fact that the goodness of God was on display in the character of Barnabas. God's goodness was on display in his character, and this was a man who was evidently had a faith in God that was notable. People noticed his faith. People recognized his faith and his belief in God, and it was remarkable. So it says in verse 24 that he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and, which means that the Holy Spirit was evident in him. And the reason I wanted to kind of point some of that out to you was that if you are ever, this is just kind of a short little side note, something to keep in mind as a body of Christ. If you're ever in a position where you need to look for a pastor, you need to look for a Barnabas. A lot of churches don't know how to look for pastors, you know, because most of the church people that get left behind are not the professionals, right? As if the pastors were, but they're not, most people aren't professionals. They don't really know what to do. So they jump on job boards and they start doing the typical HR thing, right? And you look for people with qualifications and you look for people with charisma and you look for people that have the ability to, 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 to speak well. But I think when you look at scripture and you look at the kind of people that God raises up to lead his church, one, God does the choosing. God chooses the men and he sends them out. But you're looking for people of quality and you're looking for people with qualities like this. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. These aren't the only things to look for in a pastor, but I think Barnabas is a really good example. And I think it's a good challenge for all the pastors of our church. We have three pastors that are here at our church that work together to shepherd the sheep. Pastor Bill, Pastor Jason, and myself. And uh, I would like to ask brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for us that we would have a spirit like Barnabas that God would lead us to be men of godly character, that the goodness of God would be on display in our character, that the Holy Spirit of God would be evident in us, that faith would be evident in us, and that we would always be able to rejoice at what God is doing in, in the body. And that even if we have to say something critical or something difficult, or even if there's a day when we need to speak a hard word, that the joy of the Lord would still be on our lips. And that we would be able to do it in an edifying and a compassionate and, and, and an encouraging way. That God would lead us to always be a, a tool in his hands to build up the church, not tear the church down. Because we are just men and we are susceptible to weakness and failure. So please pray for your pastors. Notice what takes place next. In verse 25 it says, And he left for Tarsus. Remember what's going on in Tarsus? Saul, 
uh, was sent to Tarsus. They laid hands on him, and he regained his sight, and he was baptized. Saul has been waiting there for the Lord to give him word and instruction of what to do next. He was being discipled by the believers there. Well, God sent Barnabas to Tarsus to meet up with Saul. He left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he says, look, Saul, I'm going to take you to Antioch. We're going to work together to pastor this church. All right. And uh, so he takes him to Antioch. In verse 26, it says, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul worked together to pastor this little church in Antioch. And when I say pastor, I mean disciple. They shepherded. That's what a pastor does. He shepherds. He doesn't just preach. Preaching is one thing that a pastor does. But shepherding is discipling. It is to teach, it is to lead, it is to correct, it is to reprove, it is to encourage, it is to exhort. All of these things that we see, that's what a pastor does. And they stayed to disciple those believers. And that became their missions hub from which they, that church said, we love you guys, but it's time for y'all to go do what you did for us everywhere else in the world. I would like to invite you as a church, as we've kind of read these words this morning, to pray through these things. The gospel of Jesus spread through persecution, but it was spread by ordinary, average, everyday Christians. Please pray that God will lead us to be part of the spread of the gospel of Jesus. Pray that God would use you. If maybe you've never had the privilege or the opportunity to pray with somebody as they cry out to Jesus for salvation, pray that God will give you that opportunity to open that door, to give you the joy of being able to sit with somebody and pray with them while they're crying out for salvation to Jesus Christ. What a rich joy. Pray that God will give you that opportunity, the boldness to share with people the truth that God might use you to lead someone to salvation. And uh, I invite you to pray that God will help you to love your Christian family like Barnabas did. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ the same way. See what God's doing in each other. Rejoice in what God's doing and encourage one another. Edify one another. Teach one another, but teach one another in an edifying way and in a comforting way. Um, pray for your pastors. Please pray that God will sustain us and hold us together. Hold us um, uh, in right relationship with him, that we would be faithful to God, that we would hold on to Jesus the same way that the church was tasked to hold on to Jesus. And then pray that God will help you to set your heart on holding on to Jesus every day until the end. Persevere to the end, holding on to Jesus. Persevere to the end, seeking Jesus. Pray that God will help you to do that, not to grow apathetic or complacent or just get in the rhythm and the routine of life, forgetting about Christ. And then pray that God, like Barnabas, will fill you with his goodness and his Holy Spirit and his faith will make that evident. That God will, will produce the evidence. of. I know the Holy Spirit is in you. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. Pray that God will make it evident in you. That people will see evidence of the Holy Spirit. Evidence of your faith evidence of the goodness of God living inside of you. Pray that God will produce that in you. I think sometimes the trials of life and the temptations and the sins that we entertain 
can um, can put a mask over what we know dwells inside. The goodness of God can be, in some cases, dulled by the way we outwardly struggle with life. Pray that God will help the goodness of God to shine through the difficulties that we face. And, and the emotions that are real, the emotions of pain and suffering that we do face, pray that God will not allow the emotions of pain and suffering to suppress the goodness of God. Pray that God will help us all in that. And that if you're wrestling at all with whether or not you believe in God this morning, trust in Jesus to be your Savior. Cry out to Him for salvation. God is, God's doing the work of saving people by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't control it. But it might be that the Spirit of God is pulling on your heart and is telling you that you need forgiveness and is drawing you to believe in him and to cry out for salvation. Don't fight God. Trust in the Lord, believe in him, and cry out for forgiveness. And scripture says you will be saved. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.